Welcome, everyone, to today's devotion. This is um, our last devotion uh, through the New Testament. It is hard to believe uh, that we have finally arrived. Every chapter of the New Testament we've, we've explored. Now, um, what I think we'll do is, first of all, I'm going to take a break. And then after that, um, we, we may go into the Old Testament. It's probably not going to be every day. I can pretty much guarantee it's not. Um, it does take some time to do these. And with uh, things reopening, um, my schedule is starting to, 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 to um, get more busy. And also, a lot of the things I haven't been able to do in terms of pastoral work, I'm wanting to get back to. Um, so, um, but we'll probably do something maybe once a week or once a month, something like that. And we'll either look at sections at a time or maybe even entire books. Uh, we'll do something like that. But at least for the month of March, I think we're going to take a break. Um, but um, here we are in Hebrews chapter 7. Um, the penultimate chapter yesterday was a complicated chapter, uh, dealing with some really difficult things where there's some real disagreement on. Uh, chapter 7 is is a difficult chapter. Hebrews is a difficult book. This is a difficult chapter um, because it deals with a character that um, is is just, um, there isn't a whole lot there, and yet an entire theology is developed from him. Now, as I said, I think two days ago, um, if, if you find Melchizedek a fascinating character and you want to understand a broader reading of scripture of him, because we don't have time to get into it today, um, I really recommend you join us on Wednesday nights, and particularly this past Wednesday um, and the Wednesday before that. We, we, we looked at Melchizedek in the Genesis text, but now uh, this past Wednesday and for the ne probably the next two weeks, I, I suspect, we're looking at what does the Bible say about priests, both, both the line of Aaron and the line of Melchizedek, and um, how that culminates in the story here of Hebrews, because this is central to his theology. Christ is a true and better high priest, but but what kind of high priest is he? Right, that that that's the question that he's dealing with here. So uh, we're going to deal with all of that on Wednesday nights, and then we'll return to our study of of Genesis. We'll pick up chapter fifteen. So if you find this stuff fascinating, we're doing a lot of it on Wednesdays at East Frankfurt, which we're doing in person and online as we have been for several months. Okay, with that, verse one. For this Melchizedek which he introduced at the end of chapter 6. We just didn't read it yesterday. King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Uh, and to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. Again, we looked at this two Wednesdays ago, so I don't want to go into all the detail, but just to remind you what happened, Abraham goes, fights a battle to rescue Lot. The story is reminiscent of the story of Gideon. Abraham is armed with 318 soldiers. Gideon had 300. And with three other Canaanite kings, is able to rescue Lot, win this battle, um, and whatnot, okay? And then what happens on his way back, he meets with two kings. One is the king of Sodom, and the other is the king of Salem. Sodom, the, the uh, king of Sodom doesn't, isn't give, we're not given his name, but the king of Salem we are. Now, Salem is, uh, is the city of Jerusalem. Salem just means peace. So this is why the writer of Hebrews says, he is the king of righteousness. Melchizedek means my king is righteous. So he's the king of righteousness. He is also the king of peace. And so you see how the writer of Hebrews has taken the story and, and he's he's taken these names um, where he's, he's making conclusions from the names. And I think rightly so, given how the story goes. Yet we see here that Melchizedek isn't a Jewish priest, 
right? Abraham is like the only Jew, right? He's the father of the Jews, and he doesn't have a son yet. So what do we do with the fact that a priest of God shows up from among the Canaanites, and he is the king of Jerusalem? So we have all these themes. We have the priest-king motif, and we have this priest-king in the city of Jerusalem. Later, what we see is David as the priest-king whose capital city is Jerusalem. It is David who brings the tabernacle, or he brings the ark, I should say, to Jerusalem, his capital city. So David is a type of priest-king. And there's other people like this in the Bible. Jethro, um, Moses' mother-in-law, would be another example of that. He's actually shepherd, priest, and king. Again, look at our study this past Wednesday night. You'll you'll see it in, in a greater detail. So the writer of Hebrews picking up on this narrative, and Abraham gives him a tenth of, of the spoils, gives him a tenth of everything he has. Now, that shows up later with the Aaronic priesthood. So the Jews would give a tenth. So when we talk of a tithe, that has uh, Old Testament uh, uh, Genesis to it. Um, now, the New Testament is slightly different on generosity. It isn't just give a tenth and you're done, although I think it's a good model. It's it's really more than that. After all, Jesus didn't tithe his blood, right? And we, we've, we've talked about it in our study of 2 Corinthians and these devotions. Anyways, so we get here, uh, the rest of verse 2, he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem, that is king of peace. So that's the story of Melchizedek. Um, however, we see here is that a pattern is set outside of Aaron. So, so what he's saying is there's two types of priests in the Old Testament. Um, there's the erotic priesthood, which follows the line of Levi. There's the Melchizedek priesthood, which follows a different sort of line, a more mysterious line. And this is why I think he gives there in verse three, he had no father or mother or genealogy. I think that is connecting, um, like with the high priest and the other priests in Jerusalem, they trace their line back to Levi, father and mother, had father and mother genealogy. Melchizedek doesn't have that. He just is a high priest of God, as is Jethro. So his high priesthood isn't connected to genealogy. It's connected to something far superior, right? He's appointed and ordained by God. And so verse seven is, is going to be key. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. His point here is that the Aaronic priesthood is inferior to the Melchizedek priesthood. This is central to his argument, how Christ can be the true and greater high priest, because Christ is not a descendant of Levi or of Aaron. He is a descendant of Judah. Now, we, if, if the right of Hebrews doesn't explore this, there is a connection between Judah and Levi, and that is... I think it's Aaron's daughter marries someone in the line of Judah. I think. Don't quote me on that. I, last Christmas, we looked at some of that. But anyways, uh, with the genealogy of Jesus. But anyways, that, that's not the point. But it is the point that the Melchizedek priesthood is is greater, superior. Okay? And remember, that's the point of Hebrews. Jesus is supreme. Go down to verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attained through the Levitical priesthood, right, the Aaronic priesthood, for under it the people receive the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one after the order of Aaron? Very simple point. It says, if the priesthood of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, was sufficient for salvation. A couple of things. One, why would we need to regularly go to the temple? Secondly, why would we still have, why would we have a priest 
outside of that system. Right? And and so so what you get with Melchizedek is he predates Aaron and Levi. There is also the Messianic hope of Psalm 110, which he quotes in uh, verse 17, um, that a greater priest, one of the order, not of Aaron, but of Melchizedek, will come. So the hope of Israel and the hope of the world is a priest of the line of Melchizedek. And so he's saying, like, look, if the Aaronic priesthood were good enough, then then why would we need this other priest? Uh, and, and, and we saw some of this in chapter 5. For one, the priests themselves are weak. They are beset with sin, so much so they must offer sacrifices for themselves. But here we have Christ, who in verse 22 is the guarantor of a better covenant. That's the hope. In fact, what he quotes in verse 21 is, you, this is of the line of Melchizedek, are a priest forever. So with the Aaronic priesthood, it's, it's this priest is going to die to be replaced by another priest to be replaced by another priest. You are constantly needing this system for salvation and for redemption. But in Christ, what we have is a superior priesthood. And what we have, one, it is an internal offering. So I, I think it's helpful to see that in Christ, we have the tensions, right? The shepherd is the lamb, the lion is the lamb, and the priest is the lamb. Christ is superior because he's of a different line of priests, that of Melchizedek, while simultaneously he offers himself as the sacrifice. So he offers the sacrifice, but he himself is the sacrifice as the priest and the lamb. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office, right? Uh, so they're going to die, got to be replaced. Verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Christ is forever. His priesthood is forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So here, Christ forever intercedes on behalf of, of the saints. Right now, there was someone at the right hand of the throne of the Father interceding on your behalf. Isn't that good news? Maybe you get lost all in Melchizedek and Aaron stuff. I get it. But that alone is good news. Christ makes intercession for us. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So why, does, why is this important argument for the writer? Remember, he's he making two points. Christ is supreme, everything else is inferior. So he's writing to people who are suffering and, and they want relief from their suffering. Rather than perseverance, they just want relief. And he's saying, look, this faith that you're, you're wanting to leave is supreme. And in your suffering right now, there is a high priest. He was interceding on your behalf. What do you get with that system you're wanting to go back to? An inferior one with weak men who can do nothing for you. Christ is supreme. In fact, maybe, just maybe, we can say, after I think over 200 of these we've done, that's the point of the New Testament. Christ is supreme. Let us not forget it, whether in COVID or out of COVID.
Thank you guys for joining me on this journey. Hard to believe it's over with, but maybe we'll meet again for something in the Old Testament. Have a good one.